Well, this is my opinion. You can share a different one if you'd like, but it is my opinion. Uh, I think Carrie Underwood is a horrible theologian. <laughs> Great artist, horrible theologian. Who here likes country music? Raise your hand if you like country music, okay? Can we pause and pray for our struggling brothers and sisters in the room right now? That's right. We just pray for them. I am going somewhere with this if you hang with me. My 13-year-old daughter, Michaela, she is a huge Carrie Underwood fan. Huge, huge fan. And when Carrie's song, we're on first name basis, Carrie. When Carrie's song came out called Something in the Water, my daughter wanted me to hear it. Now, my hand was up a second ago, but that was only for an illustration because I am not a country music fan. So I was like, babe, I hate country music. I do not want to listen to that song. She's like, no, dad, you'll love the song. I promise you'll love it. And I'm like, honey, love and country music is an oxymoron. I promise you I'm not going to love it. But she's my daughter. I love her. And so I listened to the song and I was actually blown away by the song Something in the Water. And I knew that lots of country music has some deep influence from uh, gospel music as well, but this song just stood out to me. There's a, uh, it's a story of someone, whether it's her in person or a fictional character, I don't know, but it's a story of someone putting their faith in God and then going down to a river to be baptized. At the very end of the song, if you're familiar with it, she sings this beautiful rendition of uh, Amazing Grace. And the song says this, I followed that preacher down to the river and now I'm changed. Now I'm stronger. And then she gives this line that the first time I heard it made me kind of cock my head and crunch my nose up and think, I like the song. I'm really glad she's bringing light to the gospel or making the gospel aware in her music. I'm just not sure what I feel about this line. And the line in the song is this, there must have been something in the water. Oh, there must have been something in the water. And that statement, that line from that song, I want to use as a springboard today for us to talk specifically about the issue of baptism in this second week of a sermon series we are calling Walk This Way. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. So glad that all of you are here with us today. Whether you happen to be here in the room, regular attender, joining us online or on video somewhere, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. And in the series, we're going to take some stories from the Bible, some passages of scripture, and then we're going to uh, look at them through my lens. We're going to look at some places that I got to see and experience while my wife and I were on a tour of the Holy Land over the summer. I did not say this last week, I want to make sure I get it in today, that while going to the Holy Land was a faith-changing experience for me, I want us all to understand that the place of Israel does not have any power in my life. The power comes from the person who actually walked there. His name is Jesus. That, that, that you can go to Israel and not receive any life change. So Israel is not the powerful part. The person of Jesus is. I just want to make that clear, that Jesus is what was so powerful as we experienced Israel in, in the first Person. So today I do want to talk to us specifically about baptism here in a little bit. I'm going to kind of show some pictures from, uh, from my wife and I being baptized in the Jordan River uh, where Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, and, and listen, if you're here today and you don't believe in God, you're not a follower of Jesus, while I will never hide the fact that I would love for you to put your faith in Jesus and to start your pursuit of him like we are on, you're welcome here, uh, whether you ever choose that for your life or not. And at the very least today... I hope that maybe all of us will leave this time together 
with a better understanding and a deeper appreciation of what baptism is in our lives. Even if you never get baptized, don't even believe in it, I hope we'll understand it a little bit better. And I'll be the first one to admit, like if you don't understand baptism, especially if you had no idea what baptism was, then seeing people get shoved under the water can be incredibly confusing, a little weird, and if we're honest, slightly scary, right? Think about it for a little bit. Like if you did not understand baptism, there is no way I'm getting into that tub or letting someone I love get into that tub where another person whom we may not even know has the power to hold us under the water. I'm just not gonna do that if I don't understand what baptism is. For those of us who grew up in the church or you've been a Christian for, a while now, like baptism is second nature to us. We understand it, we get it as part of our, of our faith. But for lots and lots of people, things like baptism or even communion like we did earlier in the service can be really, really confusing. And I just think as the church, we need to acknowledge that. We need to understand that, that our lingo or our understanding is not the same as everyone else's. Before we dive into that, though, I told you each week I want to share some things with you from Israel that I'm not going to preach on. Just thought they were cool, inspiring, even some odd or funny things as well. So last week I showed you some pictures from the shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, but we actually also got to ride on a boat across the Sea of Galilee, which was amazing. The boat that we rode on was supposed to be a replica of a first century boat that you would see in Israel during the time of Jesus. Here's some pictures of us while we were out on the Sea of Galilee. You'll notice what looks like haze or smoke in the air. It was not actually haze or smoke, it was sand. And it gets so hot in Israel in the summer that the desert, who that's quite a ways away, the desert kicks up sand in the air and the heat pulls it in over Israel. So it was sand in the air that we were seeing. And the Sea of Galilee, if you don't know, is 13 miles long, eight miles wide at its largest. So in the grand scheme of things, it's really not very big. But when you're out there in the middle of the sea, both my wife and I commented on this, that you can, you can recognize how terrifying it would have been for the disciples to be out there in the middle of the night, pitch black, no motor on their boat, and a storm comes up, they would be absolutely terrified. So we stopped in the middle of the sea. Uh, they cut off the engine to our boat. We were adrift at sea, and our tour guide asks me, one of the two pastors on our tour, to read the story from Matthew 14 where Peter walked on the water toward Jesus. And then it was absolutely surreal to be out there on the Sea of Galilee and read the story about Peter and Jesus walking on the water. Both my wife and I sat on the edge of the boat looking over and both commented that we just couldn't believe that we were actually on the sea where Jesus and Peter uh, did that. It was un unbelievable. So. That was like a more inspiring one for me. Here's a funny one. Doesn't mean anything spiritually. Here's a funny picture. I don't know if you know what this is. Uh, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know until I, until I was told. It's a first century public bathroom. How cool is that? Yeah. So you would actually, not trying to be crude or anything, but this was amazing to me, you would actually put a leg on, on each stone, right? And then you'd do your biz and it would wash it out under the trough beneath you uh, across the way from these latrines, I guess, was another set of latrines facing each other, and men and women used the public bathroom at the same time with no privacy stalls in first century Israel, which was unbelievable. And I know that you're wondering, did I actually try it out? Yeah, I did. So just picture me trying it out. Fully clothed, by the way, but 
you'd expect nothing less from this pastor than to actually sit on there and get his picture taken. So that, that was me. One of the highlights of our trip for both Sabrina and I was getting the opportunity to be rebaptized in the Jordan River, same river that Jesus himself was baptized in. Now, both Sabrina and I were baptized earlier on in life. I was 10 years old, Sabrina 15 years old when she was baptized. And to be honest, I want us to understand this because this is important to me. Were it not for the location, Israel and the Jordan River, I would not have chosen to be rebaptized. If it were not for the location, I would not have chosen to be rebaptized. For us, it was the chance to rededicate our commitment to Christ in the same place that He showed His commitment to us by dying on the cross. So I am not a proponent for rebaptism, but we were in Israel, and so I took full advantage of that. So there's this beautiful spot along the Jordan River that is set aside for tourists to be baptized. As you can see, they built some nice viewing areas. There was handrails out in the water; those were not there when Jesus got baptized. It it really is this great spot for baptism. I'm not sure why this is the case. It was never explained to us, but they require white robes when you get baptized. So here's a picture of Sabrina and I in our baptism gowns. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. That beard is sexy, let me tell you. Might have to bring that one back. So uh, in our tour of about 15 people, there, as I said, there was two pastors, me and somebody else. So uh, uh, us two pastors got the privilege of baptizing anyone in our group who wanted to be baptized. And then he and I baptized one another, which was awesome. And so here's a picture of me after I got baptized, came out with my just fist in the air. It was a moving experience for me uh, to do that in the Jordan River. And then in one of the most special moments of my life, I got to baptize my wife uh, in the Jordan River. And we actually got a little movie clip of that. So uh, disclaimer, uh, we gave our phone to someone we did not know in the group to film it. She apparently did not know how to work an iPhone because she was all jacked up with the thing. So there's actually two videos we spliced together. She tries turning it at one point. It's not the greatest video, but it's cool. So here's my wife getting baptized in the Jordan. All we needed was some cowbells, let me tell you. That would be awesome. <laughs> Make it element style. If you go over to Israel, take some cowbells with you. It will freak some people out. It will be awesome. They'll be like, what is that? Element church. So if you come next week, by the way, if you come next week, you're going to see that we make a big deal about baptism at Element Church. We shout, we cheer, we clap our hands, and yes, we do ring cowbells for baptism. It's a big, big deal. So what is the big deal about baptism? What's the big deal? In the 10-year ministry of our church here at Element, I've actually never preached an entire sermon on baptism until Today, which by the way, it's exciting. Next Sunday is our 10 year anniversary as a church. So, yeah, turning 10 years old. Uh, there's, there's some people here tonight that have been here for all 10 years, which is incredible. And we're going to celebrate that uh, next week as well. So, baptism is not just an event that we do. So you can invite some family to come to church, take a picture, hoot and holler, ring the cowbells, and give you a nice certificate of baptism. It's more than that, okay? It's more than that. Here at Element Church, we believe in the symbolical view of baptism. That in baptism, regardless of what Carrie Underwood sings about, there's nothing special about the water. 
There's nothing special about baptism water. There is no specific spiritual blessing that God bestows upon a person, no favor that that he gives for baptism. It is a public symbol of a spiritual transaction that has already occurred in the person's heart when they put their faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, this guy named the Apostle Paul, he was not always an apostle. He at one point hated Jesus, hated Christians, but Jesus changed his life, became an apostle for Jesus. Romans 6, verse 4, the Apostle Paul tells us this, We are therefore buried with him, that's Christ, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's a picture of baptism. That when someone goes under the water, it symbolizes that they are dying to themselves. They are dying to their old life, to their sin. And when they come up out of the water, it's a symbol that by their faith in Jesus, not only are they forgiven of their sins, but they are filled with life and power, enabling them to live their life for Jesus. That baptism itself does not save them. It's a sign of the salvation they've already received. Does that make sense? That baptism is a symbol or a, or a sign. And this is where, here at Element Church, we would differ with some other Protestant denominations and the Roman Catholic Church. So, if you were raised Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian, even many Methodists, and some other ones as well, but those are the the main big ones, when you were a baby, your parents brought you before the church to be baptized. And one of the problems I have with that is there are now lots and lots of people who believe they are going to heaven because they were baptized as a baby or baptized even at some point later in their life. And I want to be very careful when I say this, and I do say this with the utmost respect, and I'm only saying it because I am your pastor and I feel like I need to, okay? I know there are many people, even here tonight, that you come from those roots. And I'm not discounting that there's nothing good that comes from those roots, but here's the issue that I have. So again, say this with the utmost respect. If you were baptized as a baby... Even if you were baptized later in life, but you have never personally put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and then set out to follow him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that baptism did nothing for you. Did nothing for you. That you went in a dry center and came out a wet one. It's all that happened. Unless you put your faith in Jesus. That being baptized without personally putting my faith in Jesus and then claiming that I'm a Christian, that's like me wearing a wedding ring without ever having a wedding with someone and then claiming that they are my wife. That's called stalking, by the way. (laughs) You go to jail for that, right? Like my wedding ring doesn't make me married any more than baptism makes me saved. It's a symbol or a sign of something that previously happened in my life. And this is why we have set the arbitrary age of seven to be baptized here at Element Church. Nothing magical about the age of seven. It's simply the number that we as the leadership were most comfortable with uh, for the age of someone to be baptized. And here's why we set it at seven. We want children 
to not only understand what baptism is, but we also want them to articulate their own faith in Jesus, why they want to be baptized, and what it means for them. Therefore, we set the age at seven. For some, it might be later. For some, it might be earlier, but we've just set the arbitrary age of seven. In our own life, personally, we have four kids. All four of our kids have been baptized. The youngest any of our kids were baptized was nine years old. And every one of our kids, without fail, hated the fact that we made them wait. They all hated it. They all wanted to be baptized. All of them had put their faith in Jesus. They'd asked Jesus into their, into their heart. They came to us on their own to do that, and we led them to uh, Jesus then. But they could not explain what baptism was. They did not know what it meant. And so we would not let them get baptized, even when some of their friends were being baptized. And we would ask them, why do you want to be baptized? For several of our kids, for the longest time, the reason they wanted to be baptized was the free t-shirt and people cheered for them. That's not a reason to be baptized, right? And so I would just rather my kids be angry at me and I wait for them to be baptized than just let them be baptized and 20 years later it means nothing to them. So I'm for waiting when it comes to our children. And again, you got to decide that with your kids, but I'm for some patience to make sure that, yes, they've put their faith in Jesus, and yes, they understand what it means. Okay, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect kids. We all know that. Uh, but I just want to make sure they understand what it means. Now, I know this is a little bit different today, a lot different today, but there's one more thing I want to tell you, and then I promise we'll get to the Bible. I will get to the Bible here in a second. But all this is set up for the rest of our talk, okay? I personally, it's the last thing. I personally do not believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. I don't believe that. I believe, as the Bible clearly tells us, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and this not of our works, including baptism. It is not saved by grace through faith and baptism. It's saved by grace through faith, okay? There are countless examples of people who literally received Christ on their deathbed, not even having a chance to be baptized. And I highly doubt that Jesus is waiting at the entrance of heaven asking for baptism certificates. The question is not, have you been baptized? The question is, do you know my son, Jesus? He is your ticket to heaven, nothing else. By grace alone, through faith alone. Now, if you are a professing Christian who understands baptism, but you are refusing to be baptized, I would want to have a discussion about what the deeper issue is. Why are you rejecting something that Jesus clearly states we should have in our life? That would be my question for you. Why are you rejecting that? So, I just threw up on you for about 10 minutes on baptism. With all that in mind, here's the big idea for today, and then we're going to jump into some scripture. Baptism is significant in our faith, but it's not necessary for salvation. It's significant, but not necessary. So if it's not necessary, why do we do baptism, right? That's the big question we've got to ask today. Why should we be baptized after belief? 
The main scripture is Matthew 3, 13 through 17. We'll go to Matthew 28 as well. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's the first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So he was an eyewitness to the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. And if you didn't bring a Bible, it's all on the screen. If you don't own one, we'll give you one. We want to give you a Bible if you don't own one. Ask for one at guest services. We'll put one in your hands. We're going to dive right in. We're going to read all of Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And we'll see four Reasons why I think we should be baptized after belief. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee, that's where the sea is that we saw those pictures earlier, to the Jordan River, which flows south out of the Sea of Galilee. So kind of have these pictures of what you saw in your mind. He went south, Jordan River, to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist. But John tried talking him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Here's the first reason why I think we should be baptized after belief. Number one is this. It was modeled by Jesus. It was modeled by Jesus. Here Jesus was, we just read it. He came to John the Baptist and said, I want to be baptized. And remember, John the Baptist is the one who said about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That I baptize with water, but someone else is coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the Messiah. That is Jesus. That I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He must increase. I must decrease. That's the Jesus John knew. He knew who Jesus was. He was the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He knew that Jesus did not need to be baptized, but here he was offering himself up for baptism. He modeled it on our behalf. The command of Jesus to all of us is this, follow me. And I just happened to believe when he said that, he meant it. He, he did not mean follow me unless it makes you super uncomfortable. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Or, or follow me unless you don't want to get in the water. Or follow me unless you just want to live with the thief on the cross in the unbaptized section of heaven. There is no unbaptized section of heaven. I'm just joking around here. People are like, is there really the unbaptized section? That's cool. He said, follow me. Do as I have done. And if you think about it, there's really only a few things Jesus did that we ourselves cannot do. Only a few. I can think of a couple off the top of my head that I don't have the power to know what someone is thinking. And believe me, in a home with a wife and three daughters, I wish I had that power, but I don't, right? Be careful where you say amen, men, in the room. I don't have the power to rise from the dead. I don't have that power. Now, Jesus did give his disciples healing power to use for other people. So I suppose if he wanted me to have that, he could give me the gift of healing power for someone else. But beyond that, whatever Jesus did, we are called to do. We're called to do. So if Jesus who we believe was God in the flesh, 
submitted himself to baptism, modeled it for us, I think we should also follow in his steps or to use the sermon series title, I think we should also walk this way. If Jesus did it, then I think we should as well. And some people want to know why we do full immersion baptism, all the way in the water, all the way out, and why we don't do sprinkle or pouring baptism, sprinkle water, pour water, and here's why. The word baptize in the Bible that's used here about Jesus and also the same word used in every other New Testament case of baptism is the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. It does not mean to sprinkle. It does not mean to pour. The Greek words for those are different. So the Greek word for sprinkle is krontizo. means to sprinkle. The Greek word for pour is Cleveland Browns. That was funny right there. The Greek word for pour is katecheo. Sounds like you're hacking a loogie. Katecheo is the Greek word for pour. Sprinkling or pouring did not become a common practice in the church until around 400 AD, almost 400 years after Jesus. The very first recorded case in all of church history for sprinkling or pouring baptism, at least from my limited research, was in 251 AD. A man named Novation was too sick to get out of bed, so they poured water over him in his bed to baptize him into the face. So almost 200 years after Christ, the very first case of sprinkle or pouring baptism, therefore we do immersion. I'm not saying that sprinkling or pouring is evil. I'm just saying for us, we're going to do immersion because that's what is in the scripture. So baptism is significant in our faith. It's not necessary for salvation. So why should we be baptized after belief? Well, it was modeled by Jesus. Number two is this. It was the message of Jesus. It was the message of Jesus. In this main scripture... Jesus said about himself being baptized, we must carry out all that God requires. And I got to be honest, I was confused by that statement. I'd never really even noticed it before. So I really had to do some deep study on what that meant. What does it mean? Because baptism was not a part of the Jewish law. It was not something that God had previously required. So why would Jesus say that? There was ceremonial washing, ceremonial cleansing, but nothing like baptism. So what did Jesus mean? So I started studying, came across this great theologian, Adam Clark. He's now with heaven, in heaven with Jesus. But he said this, that undoubtedly what Jesus meant, what Jesus was doing here was the initiation of a new ordinance for a new covenant. A new ordinance for a new covenant. So that word covenant got me thinking about the old covenant. And the old covenant is from the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Bible, then you know this, that the old covenant was the system that God established for the Jewish people to have a relationship with him. And in the old covenant were all sorts of signs and symbols that were fulfilled in Jesus or will be fulfilled upon his return. One of the main symbols or signs we think of is the sacrificial system. That in the old covenant, you would sacrifice an unblemished male animal, and that blood, the shedding of that blood, would then forgive your sins. Well, Jesus comes along, and he is the unblemished male son of God, or the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. 
So when Jesus shed his blood, no longer would there be an animal slain every day, every week, every month, or every year. His blood was slain once for all time for all people. Amen? Amen. So he fulfilled that part of the system. Well, that's not the first symbol of the Old Covenant. The first symbol of the Old Covenant was circumcision. That eight days after a Jewish boy was born... Literally, on the eighth day, they would receive the sign or symbol that they were a part of God's people, and that sign or symbol was circumcision. It was literally the next step after being born. Now, this is where it got really cool for me. Now Jesus comes along, and he says, not just to the boys, the men, he says to everyone, we must be born what? Again, right? Born again. So with his baptism, he is initiating a new sign, a new symbol, not of our physical birth, but of our rebirth. That circumcision would no longer be the sign that you belong to God, baptism was. And if you want to get really technical, just as circumcision was the next step after being born, perhaps Jesus was telling us that baptism is our next step after being born again. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing, so good, how Jesus brought the old and new covenant together, a public declaration of our allegiance to Jesus, that when I get baptized, I am announcing publicly that I am aligning myself to God's way, and God's way is Jesus, And not only am I aligning myself to God's way, but I'm also announcing to my congregation, my church, that now I'm allowing you to hold me accountable to walk with Jesus. So that when I start to wander, because you know that I'm a professing Christian and have been baptized in the faith, you can now come to me and say, Jeff, I noticed you're starting to go off track a little bit. What's going on? And listen. When a Christian brother or sister comes to you, another Christian brother or sister, and they come to you in love and they say, hey, I see some things in you that don't seem right. What's going on? Your response should not be, you can't judge me. Your response should be, thank you. I gave you that permission when I was baptized. Because I don't know if you recognize this, but the Bible tells us That in the church, we are not supposed to judge those outside the church. Hello, we do really good with that one. He says, don't judge those outside the church, but he commands us to judge those inside the church. Why? Because we are to hold one another accountable. It's not about putting somebody down. It's about helping someone up to walk their faith with Jesus. So when I get baptized, I'm literally telling my church, you can hold me accountable. I've been baptized, and you can hold me accountable. You have that permission in my life. So baptism is significant in our faith, but not necessary for salvation. So why should we be baptized? Well, it was modeled by Jesus. It was the message of Jesus. Number three, I'm going to fly through this one. So if you want to write down, write it fast. It was the ministry of Jesus. Real quickly, John 4, 1 through 3, a side scripture here. 
Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. I just wanted to throw this one in there to show you that part of the ministry of Jesus was commissioning his leaders, his disciples, to baptize people coming to the faith. So it should be part of our ministry as well. So it was modeled by Jesus, message of Jesus, ministry of Jesus. Last one, might be the most powerful one is this. It was the mandate from Jesus. It was a mandate from Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is called the Great Commission. It was part of the final words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And yes, he was speaking to the disciples, but ultimately he was giving the mission of the church to all believers and all churches around the globe who claim his name. And I want you to notice what what, what Jesus said was a part of his mission for the church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, Jesus came after he had risen from the dead and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So in other words, he's telling them, hey guys, I'm God. And because I'm God, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, and then here it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why when we baptize, we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Put them in the water, bring them out. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I love this promise, by the way. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. And listen, church, the first part of making disciples is reaching people who don't yet know him. It's the first part that we we cannot teach people to obey the commands that God has given us until we reach them to believe in the God who gave the commands. Discipleship starts with reaching people first. So reach them, Jesus says, then baptize them. It is the next step after being born again. Just like circumcision was the next step after birth, baptism is the next step after being born again. And then he says, teach them. Teach who? These new disciples, these new believers. So you have reach, baptize, teach. Reach, baptize, teach. That is the mission of the church. Reach, baptize, teach. We sometimes say it this way at Element, we wanna reach more people for Jesus and raise them up to be like Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we should be baptized after belief. Baptism is significant. It is. It's a milestone maker in our faith journey. But it's not necessary, okay? So why should we? Well, it was modeled by Jesus. It was the message of Jesus. It was the ministry of Jesus in church. It was the mandate of Jesus to be baptized. And here's the thing. Last week, We had 13 people who acknowledged to us they put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. In September alone, we have seen 28 people put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. It's awesome. It's awesome. So listen, that means coming up next week on the 8th and the following on the 15th, we should have at least 28 people be baptized. Why? Because they're new believers. 
And Jesus said, reach them, then baptize them, and then teach them. And so if you are one of those people who put your faith in Jesus, we want to ring the cowbells for you next Sunday or on the 15th, okay? So on, on October 8th, next Sunday, 10-year anniversary, the following Sunday, the 15th, in all three of our services each weekend, so six total services, we were, are doing baptisms, and we would love for you to be a part of that. I believe right now, tonight, there is someone who's been a Christian for a long time, and you've never gone public with your faith through baptism, and God's using this message right this very moment to tell you it's time to go public with your faith. So when we're done, you should walk right out those doors to those computers at the Next Steps wall, and you should sign up to be baptized. Don't delay. The more you delay, the more excuses the devil will give you not to do it. So do it now. Get out your phone and go to the church website. You can sign up there too. Whatever it takes, get baptized. It's your next step. It's not the last step. It's your next one. Okay? So if you want to be baptized, sign up at Next Steps wall or online. I would love to see a record number of people be baptized in the next two weeks, not just so there's a record number, because that tells me that there are more and more and more people taking their steps with Jesus. That's what it's about. Reach, baptize, teach. Also, if this is kind of wetting your appetite for an Israel trip, uh, Pastor Andy's hosting one uh, June 18 through 17 of next year. All the information is out at the Next Steps wall. You can grab this. It is pricey, but if you're able to save the money and spend that money, it's well worth it, I believe. It truly is faith-changing, and I hope that we have lots of people that are able to go on that trip. The first deposit's due December 15th, so uh, make sure and uh, get that taken care of. If you got questions, just ask us. We'll answer all the questions that we can uh, about that trip. I love you guys. Uh, next Sunday's 10-year anniversary, so excited about that. Uh, but we're going to continue our series, Walk This Way, next week. Uh, and I won't, I'll just tell you next week what we're preaching on because I don't, I'm running out of time. So I got to close up. I love you guys. Uh, you're an amazing church. Let me pray for you. And then Pastor Brendan has some closing words. Lord, you're so good. And Lord, I thank you that you just don't leave us in the dark. You don't tell us, be baptized, and then leave us wondering what it is, how to do it, when to do it. Lord, you tell us plainly, we should be baptized. And here's why, here's how, here's when. So Lord, I pray for those in the room. I pray for those who heard it earlier today who have not yet been baptized, but they have put their faith in you. I pray that you'd give them the courage and the boldness to do what they know they should, that they would walk this way, following you in your steps. God, we love you, give you praise. In Jesus' name.